Welcome to The Power Podcast. I'm your host, Malia Warner. This is episode 82, Lives of the Magpie, chapters 36 and 37. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Are you excited to continue with the chapters of Lies of the Magpie? The plot thickens as we go forward today. Before we dive in, I need to announce that if you are not a subscriber to my Monday email message, make sure to go to maliawarner.com, hit subscribe. That way, every Monday in your email, you will get an inspirational message and you will also receive any news about upcoming classes. For example, this fall, I am beginning to teach healing for the heart, mind, and body classes that coincide with the book Lies of the Magpie. These classes are, I'll just say it, going to be amazing, life-changing, transformational. All the things I've been learning and studying for the past 10 years, all of the things that have helped me to find healing for my body, to overcome negative thoughts and self-limiting beliefs, and to tap into the creative power of my emotions. And everything in these classes will be so doable. I am not a marathon runner. My motto is small and simple. I look for the things. I love the things that are simple and don't take a lot of time that I can incorporate into my daily life. These are the things that I will be sharing in my healing for heart, mind, and body classes coming up this fall. And to get all the nitty gritty details and information about those classes, go to maliawerner.com, hit subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an announcement. All right, let's jump into Lies of the Magpie. We have two more weeks of our summer series. Yes, it's going to leave you on a cliffhanger. Of course, I've been planning that all along so that you'll need to go pick up the book and finish reading it or hold out for the completion of the audiobook, which is still in the works. Editing takes a very long time and also Audible, like almost everything in the world today, is behind and backed up thanks to our lovely covid So no official release date yet, just that it is getting closer. Today we are on chapter 36 and chapter 37. And last week in chapter 35, I visit this homeopathic doctor for the first time and have really amazing, enlightening experience there. So in chapter 36, I'm excited to go back to Dr. Thorpe for my six-week follow-up visit and tell him all of the amazing things that Dr. Erdman said. And then I discover that allopathic doctors and homeopathic doctors don't necessarily like each other. And I found myself in the middle of this tug of war between traditional and homeopathic medicine. And with that background, I present for you these audio chapters of Lies of the Magpie. Enjoy. Chapter 36, Hashimoto's. After visiting Dr. Erdman two or three times a week over the past month, I've come to expect the unexpected. Each session is a surprise, everything from color therapy to acupuncture. On one visit, he took me to a back room and instructed his assistant to prepare a foot bath. These foot baths use positive or negative ion charges to draw toxins out of the body. Your body is full of thallium. Strange, we usually see thallium in people who have worked in coal mines or coal-burning power plants. Dr. Erdman put a metal rod into the water with my feet. We'll start you with 20 minutes today and work up little by little. He flipped on a switch and I flinched, expecting an electric shock. But there was no shock, only soothing warm water. I relaxed and leaned back in the chair, certain that I'd never mentioned growing up near coal mines and power plants to Dr. Erdman. 
The water remained clear for five minutes. Then, out from the bottoms of my feet, clouds of yellow muck started to form. What in the world? The yellow clouds floated to the surface and were followed by a brown, gravy-like goop. More minutes passed and green mixed with the brown and yellow. Next, flecks of what looked like colored metallic shavings floated to the top. After 20 minutes, Dr. Erdman returned to check on me. It looks disgusting, I said, watching the swirl of filth around my ankles. It's not the worst I've seen, Dr. Erdman replied. I've had patients who turned the water black the first time. Dr. Erdman bent down and pointed. See this foam? That's mucus from your chest. My eyes popped open wide and I leaned for a closer look. All the phlegm I'd been coughing up. The nagging cough and congestion had been number four on symptoms that most disrupted my life, but I'd never verbally addressed the issue to Dr. Erdman. Either this ion thingy really did work, or Dr. Erdman had been studying my paperwork and catering his hocus-pocus to my unique symptoms. In either case, I was impressed with his attentiveness. At home, Aaron listened as I animatedly described the foot baths. That sounds like bogus science, he said. It makes sense to me. Everything else in life requires regular cleaning and maintenance. The house, car, yard, jacuzzi. Why not the body? The idea of pulling out trash that has been collecting in my systems felt intuitively right to me. I wished I could go back and ask Dr. Erdman for a sample of my foot water to bring home so Aaron would believe me. Several weeks later, and at last, it's time for my six-week follow-up visit with Dr. Thorpe. There is almost a skip in my step walking through his waiting room to sign in for the appointment. Won't Dr. Thorpe be pleased about the amazing answers Dr. Erdman has given me? My red notebook is bulging with the questions and information I've gathered in the time since we last met. I anticipate the three of us working together, Dr. Thorpe, Dr. Erdman, and myself, will make a fine team to solve my health conundrum. After today's appointment, Dr. Thorpe will be on board. Then Aaron will come around. My pen and notebook are open and ready when Dr. Thorpe knocks and enters. I've made some progress since my last appointment, I say right off the bat. I've done research and I've been visiting Dr. Erdman. Dr. Thorpe nods, indicating he knows about Dr. Erdman. He says I have adrenal fatigue I announce the news as if the mystery has been solved at last. Dr. Thorpe shakes his head, and suddenly I know he's heard this line a hundred times before. Adrenal fatigue is not a medical diagnosis. There is something called Addison's disease where your adrenals don't function at all. Did you get the results of my blood cortisol tests that Dr. Erdman requested? Yes, your levels are within normal range. Dr. Thorpe hands me a copy. My cortisol level was 16, and the normal range is from 12 to 64. I'm on the low end. Do you think I should be tested for Addison's? If you had Addison's, you wouldn't have been able to walk in here. I wanted to point out that I could barely walk in here. This appointment is not going how I anticipated. I hoped when Dr. Thorpe jumped onto the homeopathic bandwagon that Aaron would be soon to follow. Dr. Thorpe continues. About your thyroid. Yes, I have some questions. I flipped through my notebook to find the page with my thyroid research. 
I read there's something called postnatal hypothyroid where a woman can be hypothyroid for a while after giving birth, but over time her thyroid naturally goes back to normal function. That would explain why I haven't felt good after some of my babies. I'm hoping he will come to the same conclusion, that my thyroid malfunction was a temporary issue. Your second thyroid blood test showed that you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Dr. Thorpe lays his trump card on the table. What? I have no idea what he just said. Hashimoto's thyroiditis causes you to be hyperthyroid. It means your own immune system has produced antibodies that are attacking your thyroid. How come that didn't show up on the first test? The first time, we only tested for TSH levels. The second test I ordered was specifically to test for anti-TPO antibodies, which you do have. He speed talks through an explanation of the presence of antithyroid peroxidase indicating an autoimmune disease. But what does that mean? The sudden change of direction has thrown me off kilter. Eventually, your thyroid will burn out. Dr. Thorpe shows me a copy of my lab numbers, and I notice the date of the results are four weeks old. I drop my notebook in my lap. How does a person live with a dead thyroid? You take medication. I'd start you on 50 micrograms of Synthroid. You take one pill every morning on an empty stomach and get your TSH blood levels tested every few months. Over time, you'll incrementally increase your dose until the medicine completely replaces what the thyroid used to do. For the rest of my life? There's no way to stop it. Eventually, your own immune system will destroy your thyroid. Whether this takes one year or 20 years, there's no way to tell. I don't want my thyroid to burn out. I never paid much attention to the little gland before, and suddenly I regret taking it for granted. Surely some people get better, don't they? I ask again, sounding skeptical of his conclusions. If Hashimoto's is autoimmune, that means it can autocorrect, right? Dr. Thorpe takes a deep breath. There's about a 10% chance your thyroid could recover on its own. What if I don't take the medicine? Will I die? You won't die, but you won't feel better unless you take the medicine. Again with the doctors and prescription drugs, fresh on my mind is what happened two weeks ago after Kate's tonsillectomy. We arrived at Phoenix Children's Hospital at 6 a.m. for the operation. About 10 a.m., the anesthesiologist swung through the door to give me the post-surgery report. He looked like a soap opera doctor, a handsome male model dressed in scrubs pretending to be an anesthesiologist. It's done. Kate did great. Man, those were the biggest adenoids I'd ever seen. He shook his head from astonishment. You can go wait with her in the recovery room. When Kate woke up, she accepted a popsicle right away. You can take her home now anytime you want, said the nurse, handing me a prescription for Tylenol with codeine. You'll want to fill this prescription on your way home before the anesthesia wears off completely. Isn't codeine a pretty strong drug for a six-year-old? I questioned. We hardly take any medicine. Can I start her on regular children's Tylenol and then see if she needs this? My daughter had her tonsils out two weeks ago and she said it was the worst pain she's ever had. How old is your daughter? I asked. She's 21. Young kids are pretty resilient. They fall down and bounce right back up. The nurse was insistent. You're going to want to keep her medicated, 
stay on top of the pain or she's going to be very sore. Doesn't codeine make you nauseous? I tried to remember something I'd heard. This is what we prescribe to all our kids. She closed her book as if she had the final answer. Not knowing whether to defer to the hospital's recommended practices or my personal inclination to let the human body heal on its own, I called Aaron to be the tiebreaker. He's always giving the kids cold medicine behind my back when I prefer to let them tough it out, so I mostly called to hear his voice of reassurance that it would be okay to give Kate the prescription meds. Surprisingly, Aaron said, Tylenol with codeine is pretty strong stuff. I had that when I hurt my back in high school and it knocked me out. I would say bring her home and let's see how she does without it. At home, Kate gobbled down another popsicle and accepted a dose of over-the-counter children's pain relief. By afternoon, she was bouncing around with Danny and Tanner. Kate, how does your throat feel? I asked. Do you want more medicine? No, thanks. She jumped from the couch into the beanbag. How does your throat feel? I prodded. It's scratchy, but the popsicles make it feel better, she announced, hopping up from her flip. Mom, Danny laughed. She sounds funny. If it weren't for her Minnie Mouse voice, we would hardly know she'd had surgery a few hours earlier. From that night on, she has slept quiet as a church mouse. No more snoring like a tree trimmer running a chainsaw. What happened next is the reason I stall when Dr. Thorpe hands me the Synthroid prescription. One week after Kate's surgery, my friend Deanne took her son for the exact same procedures. Tonsils and adenoids out, ear tubes in. Like a reasonably responsible mother, Deanne followed the nurse's instructions and gave him codeine. He proceeded to throw up for five straight days. Deanne called me. He has lost so much weight that I can see his ribs. They had stopped giving him the medication, but his stomach wouldn't settle down. Oh, I wish I had thought to say something to you, I offered helplessly. I will never give a child that strong of medicine again. The nurse had been emphatic that without the coating, Kate would experience excruciating pain. Kate did fine. She never even took a second dose of children's pain relief. The person who experienced excruciating pain was Deanne's son, whose codeine-induced vomiting burned his throat raw. Why are doctors so giddy about prescribing drugs when often the side effects are worse than the symptoms of the illness? Maybe by not taking the medicine, I will give my thyroid a chance to bounce back on its own. The human body is miraculous that way. Dr. Thorpe is waiting for me to say whether or not I want the prescription which would signal the end of the appointment. But I have pages of questions. I don't feel any better after taking the antivirals. I know you said they would be questionable and that the only known treatment for mono is rest and good nutrition, but the most frustrating problem is that I cannot sleep. I explain the sirens and the jolting awake. How can I get better when I can't get a restful night's sleep? Dr. Thorpe answers, Often, if an adult naps during the day, they have difficulty falling asleep at night. I feel like a reprimanded child. I don't usually nap in the day, I answer, even though I'm trying to understand why a person with mono shouldn't rest as much as possible. I might lie on the couch, but even then, if I try to fall asleep, something jerks me awake. 
You said I needed to get over the Epstein-Barr virus to see if my thyroid could get back to normal. How can I get over the virus if I can't sleep? That was before we knew about the Hashimoto's, Dr. Thorpe says. What a jumbled pile of perplexity. What can I do to be able to sleep? There is a loud silence as we face each other. I know that he caught himself before offering a prescription for sleeping pills. He knows I am not going to take the Synthroid. We are at an impasse. Dr. Thorpe leaves with an exasperated exhale. I leave with an appointment for a follow-up thyroid test in six weeks. On the drive home, I'm not feeling happy with either Dr. Thorpe or Dr. Erdman. Why hadn't the homeopathic testing at Dr. Erdman's office found the Hashimoto's? I saw the blood lab results myself, and I do have the antithyroid peroxidase antibodies, or whatever they're called. Maybe Dr. Erdman is a phony, like Aaron says. On the other hand, that lab report was four weeks old. If Dr. Thorpe really believes I won't feel better until I take Synthroid, then why didn't he call me in a prescription four weeks ago? The inconsideration of leaving me to suffer for four weeks makes me furious. I have no idea what to do. Hashimoto's isn't a death sentence, but it is a life sentence. In bed that night, I replay the appointment for Aaron. He says, You took a questionable antiviral that you weren't sure would help, but you won't take a thyroid medicine that will? The antiviral was temporary. If I start the thyroid pill, I will be taking it for the rest of my life. I want to give my thyroid a chance to heal on its own. Aaron rolls away from me. Good night, I whisper. It's all so befuddling. I thought Dr. Erdman was my answer. It felt like God guided me to find him. Everything he said felt right. But obviously Dr. Thorpe and Aaron think he is a nutcase selling snake oil tonic. Chapter 37. You will get 100% well. Today is Tanner's third birthday, and he has been running around all morning wearing nothing but his birthday suit. He is potty training, and you could say we are using the naked technique. Anise refers to my house as clothing optional. Aaron and I hand Tanner a wrapped gift. His eyes light up when he rips off the paper and finds a new rubber bat and ball. Tanner runs into our bedroom and returns wearing one of Aaron's brown belts and a ball cap. That is all he is wearing, the belt and the hat, as he proceeds to play baseball in the backyard. I try to snap a G-rated photo, but each time he takes a good hard swing, the belt falls precariously to his ankles. Aaron and I laugh behind our hands. Jack pulls himself up to standing against my patio chair. He's going to be walking soon, Aaron observes. Jack's first year has gone too quickly, and yet... It has been the longest year of my life. When Tanner is down for his afternoon nap, I leave for a homeopathic treatment, unaware that it is me who is about to receive the most unexpected gift. At my appointment, I tell Dr. Erdman about my mood swings, switching from happy as a lark to droopy as a basset hound to angry as a bear with its paws in a hornet's nest. I'm worried he'll lock me in a loony bin, 
but Dr. Erdman is casual as if he sees this every day. That's your liver detoxing. Maybe he does see it every day. Today we're going to do something different. Let's unbury your worries. We do the whole muscle testing routine, only this time I'm flat on my back on the table, arm poking out like the flush handle of a toilet. Instead of poking and prodding organs, Dr. Erdman makes a statement, then pushes down on my arm. You are troubled by the past. My arm stays firmly in place. Your worry is in the present. Another solid push, but my arm doesn't budge. Your worry is in the future. With this push, my arm gives way and drops to the ground. It still freaks me out how he does that. Interesting, he says. I agree. I'd like to know what worries me in the future. But Dr. Erdman is so focused that instead of interrupting with my usual crossfire of questions, I keep quiet and let him continue. Your worry is about money. My arm stays hard like a boulder which surprises the heck out of me because I am always worried about money. You are worried about family. My outstretched arm holds straight as a steel rod. The questioning goes on and my arm stays firm until Dr. Erdman says, You are worried about health. My arm gives out so fast under his push that Dr. Erdman loses his balance and barely rights himself before face-planting. It takes a few minutes for us both to get our bearings. Now we're on to something. Dr. Erdman plants his feet and I lift my arm out again. He rephrases the statement. You worry that you will always be sick, that you will never get well. My arm drops like the seat of a dunking machine when the target has been hit square center. Dr. Erdman says, You fear that you will live with this illness for the rest of your life. With these words, the table, the floor, the earth have been pulled out from under me and I am free falling through empty space. All of my life I have taken my body for granted. I falsely assumed I could run at any pace and my legs would always move. I expected my arms would never quit working. My brain would never stop thinking. Mine is a case of self-abuse beyond measure. So yes, what Dr. Erdman says is true. I am afraid that I have learned my lesson too late. My punishment is justly deserved. For repeated crimes against my body, I have been sentenced to live with chronic illness. Dr. Erdman gets smaller as I fall away from him. The lights overhead get more distant. I am weightless in a space without gravity. My future, all my hopes and dreams, float around me too. I'm falling for hours, maybe months, perhaps years. Time is swirling around me too. Every timepiece I've ever owned, the digital dashboard clock from the Taurus, the microwave timer, the watch my parents gave me senior year of high school, my alarm clock, nothing is concrete any longer. My life has no grounding. I continue to drift, plummeting downward, but watching the dive in slow motion. There's no telling if I can regain my footing or if I will hit the bottom of the canyon floor and shatter into a million pieces. Dr. Erdman speaks again. His voice travels deep and catches up to my freefall. You are afraid you won't get well, but, my dear you will get 100% well. 
His words become arms, soft yet solid arms, encircling me in a well-skilled catch, stopping my fall in the nick of time. These arms, made of words, lower me gently, not into a trough of icy water, but into a woolly cloud that envelops me in warmth. Most words are heard with the ears, and they sound exactly like words because that's what they are. Other words bypass the ears and pierce the heart. These words aren't heard, they are felt. These words don't sound like words, they sound like truth. I will get 100% well. I know it in the deepest part of me. I never have to question again. Dr. Erdman holds out his hand for me to grab onto and pulls me into a seated position, as he does at the end of every appointment. I reach for my shoes. One last thing. Dr. Erdman is checking his notes in my file. Do you find that you jerk awake when you're trying to fall asleep? My shoes hit the floor, and my chin nearly does as well. How did you know? Some people say it's like they've heard an alarm. That is exactly what happens. I can't remember the last time I was able to fall asleep without jerking awake a half dozen times first. I'm shocked how low your cortisol levels are. He points to the number 16 on my lab reports. Cortisol is produced in your adrenal glands. For so long, your body has had to produce spurts of cortisol in order to keep you going. So now, as soon as you start to fall asleep, your body releases a surge of cortisol giving you an adrenaline rush. Then you can't fall back to sleep because you're hyped up on adrenaline. The next day, you probably want to crash, just like any person does after having an adrenalized experience. We'll get your cortisol levels regulated and you'll sleep better than a baby. While Dr. Thorpe had rolled his eyes at my sleeping dilemma, Dr. Erdman described word for word what I experience every night. At the checkout counter, Julia asks, How did it go today? She's not making small talk. Our eyes connect and there is a brief but real exchange of mutual connection. She knows me because she has been on my side of the counter. I wonder how she came to work with Dr. Erdman. I can't describe it, I say. She nods knowingly. The appointment is $45 and the Procortisol supplement is $15. She prints a receipt. Do you accept checks? Laya has closed her magazine and joins me at the counter, looking over my shoulder as I write a check. She's not stupid. She can do math. And she knows that these appointments are adding up. $60 twice per week can buy a lot of groceries. She leans on the counter with a strange expression. Just thinking what Aaron will say about you bringing home yet another non-FDA-approved supplement, she says. I turn away from Laya and sign my name at the bottom of my check. Malia Warner. It looks like the Jane Hancock on my personal declaration of independence. What does this $60 check declare? That I am worth the money. I am going to be able to sleep. I will get 100% well. Rather than carrying the weight of a life sentence of drug dependency, the procortisol supplements feel light, like a little bottle of helium. By the third night on the supplement, I fall asleep at the same time as Aaron. In the morning, I roll toward him. 
Did Jack wake up in the night? I didn't hear him. Aaron looks at me. Did you get up with him? No, I slept all night. We are getting everything ready to close up our house and spend two months of summer in Utah and Idaho. We've finished the June issue, forwarded our mail to my parents' address, and we have been eating through our freezer and refrigerator. There are two final missions to cross off my list before leaving town. One is to have a final treatment with Dr. Erdman. So you're going to be gone for two months, Dr. Erdman asks in amazement as he presses into my back. I guess that officially makes you snowbirds, though you're a bit young. Aaron's youngest brother is getting married in June, and we have a family reunion in Yellowstone at the end of July, so we decided to stay the whole summer. I've had this same conversation with so many people over the past few weeks that my answers are practically scripted. Most people reply by saying how lucky we are, which is exactly how Dr. Erdman responds. You're lucky. Not many people get to do that. I suppose that by starting the magazine, we've created a certain amount of destiny for ourselves. But of all people, I would have expected Dr. Erdman to be more perceptive about the cost of this luck. Dr. Erdman pulls the bones at the base of my skull. It's important that you continue treatments while you're gone so you don't lose the progress you've made. Dr. Erdman gives me the contact information for one of his colleagues in Utah. I don't want to fall backward either, but honestly, it's hard to imagine what could be more medicinal than a summer out of the stifling heat. Unlike last summer, this year I'm not recovering from childbirth and an episiotomy, and I'm not waking up in the night to breastfeed a newborn. Spending six weeks in the cool mountain air of Utah and Idaho? What could be more therapeutic? Still, I fully intend to give his colleague a call. The last thing we do before leaving town is attend a graduation. This I do with pleasure. Kate is not my first kindergarten graduate, but hers is my first kindergarten graduation. Last year, Danny was so elated with his new baby brother that my absence from his kindergarten graduation didn't bother him an ounce. But it bothers me that I will never see my oldest son graduate from kindergarten. I will, however, see Kate graduate. The school auditorium is covered with handmade decorations, colorful flowers cut and painted from rolls of school paper, children's handprints, and twisted streamers marking the aisles. The mini-sized graduates with their cardboard caps and garbage sack robes sing their songs with gusto, though slightly off-key. I'd like to petition that graduation ceremonies for anyone over the age of five be banned unless the speakers can prove as entertaining as children grabbing a microphone and boldly declaring, When I grow up, I want to be a garbage man. At the end of the program, Jack steps into the aisle and wobbles on unsteady legs to greet Kate. Aaron bends down to give her a flower. She throws her arms around his neck and they hug each other tight. In the post-graduation photos, my smile is not forced. Hopefully, the worst is behind me now. This is Malia Warner. Thank you for listening today. If you have not yet, will you please go to Amazon to Goodreads and leave a review for Lies of the Magpie? Also, make sure you're subscribed to my Monday message email newsletter to receive all of the details about the Healing for Heart, Mind, and Body classes coming this fall. 
Have a great week, my friends. Bye-bye.